classmates, Pamela and, and Tanya. Mary Beth didn't find her life's mate here, but she has recently found him at the Master's Seminary. And that's really interesting because I had been challenging the men at the Master's Seminary that I was praying that God was going to put a burden in their heart, one of their hearts, to marry my daughter. And so when I speak there tomorrow, I'm going to introduce them to Gordon Johnstone. He's going to stand up, and he doesn't know that yet. And on November 17th, Lord willing, they will be married at Grace Community Church. Well, why did I say all that about kids and about everybody here has got a father and everybody here has got a mother? Next to God, nobody loves you more than they do. Next to God, nobody is more interested in what happens in your life. Next to God, nobody's more interested in who's going to be your life mate. And I don't know any better place to find a life's mate than right here at the Master's College. But a word of caution. Word of caution. Before, before you start linking into a guy or a gal, first, have an understanding from the Lord. And you may have to wait upon the Lord as to what he wants you to do with your life. And then be praying that God will bring that young woman or that young man into your life who, whom he has given a similar burden to. So that together you can be partners in the gospel and together you can achieve the potential that God had in mind for you when he put you on the planet. And there's never been a time in the history of the world and in the history of the church like, like today in terms of the potential for the advancement of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. While you were having your missions conference here in Southern California, and some went to Arizona, I'm not sure how far you went, some went farther than Southern California, I was having a missions conference in Moscow and in Minsk and out in villages in Belarusia. Uh, and I have to tell you, about the first day of my missions conference in Moscow, I, I had taken with, I, I sometimes try to take with me on these trips, Businessmen, presidents of companies, when I can, this particular case, I had a couple of those. And, I, and also with me was the president of another mission who had never been to Russia before, but God had put it on my heart to try to get his mission real involved in the lands of Russia because his mission has been reaching American soldiers on American bases worldwide. And we're praying that God would raise up resources and people through that mission to come alongside help the churches evangelize the Russian army, the Russian Air Force, the Russian Navy. Then we won't have to worry about somebody like Chernovsky taking over a madman, you know, if we have officers all throughout the Russian armed forces who belong to the Lord Jesus. I'll tell you more about that in a minute because we had some exciting experiences, even on some Russian military bases this last trip. But when these men were coming in, I decided, uh, boy, you know, a good cure. In fact, the best cure that I know for jet lag, if those of you who believe in jet lag, the best cure for that is spiritual fruit. Spiritual fruit's the best cure for everything. You know, I don't care how bad you feel. If you'll just keep gutting it out when God's given you opportunities and you experience that fruit, you'll forget you feel rotten in a hurry. Maybe some of you experienced that in the missions conference. And so right from the airport, I'm, I took these guys down into the subways of Moscow. Now, the subways of Moscow are one of the most wonderful places in the world to do evangelism. 
I don't know why. The Lord's just made it that way. Well, one of the reasons is the numbers. Seven million people ride the subway in Moscow every day. That's pretty good field, isn't it? Pretty good harvest field right there. And they're all bored, you know. They, they're poor and they're bored and they don't have good stuff to read. And so they love to receive something from God's word. And so I loaded down this president as one company. I gave him all these tracks and I said, look, you know, and I taught him about three or four Russian words. And I said, all I want you to do is just walk down through this subway car and, and, and give one of these scripture brochures to everybody and just see what happens. I mean, his eyes just kept getting bigger and bigger and he forgot he was tired and he forgot he had jet lag as people just kept reaching for those tracks and starting to read them. Nearly 100%. Usually when it's not 100%, it's an American there who doesn't need that, you know. We went on from there, and that, but that's how we began our missions conference in Moscow. And there were so many things that happened that were so tremendous while you were having your conference here. I'll, I'll just try to hit a few little highlights that maybe, maybe would uh, relate better to you. We were in a village in, in western Belarus. I mean, a little village, in a little village church, church plant of another little village church that's begun to have daughter churches. And, the end of the evening, the pastor gave an invitation for people to repent of their sins and put their trust in Christ as Savior. And a grandmother, about 65 years old, got out of her seat and she walked onto the front. She fell on her knees and she began to weep and repented and put her trust in Christ as Savior and Lord. And where I was seated, I could see that the other older woman, in fact, much older than she, was standing there in her place in the back of the church, weeping tears of joy. And so after the service, I made my way back and I introduced myself to this older grandmother who had to be 85. And I thought this is probably her daughter who gotten saved, you know. And I said, ma'am, I rejoice with you. I'm curious, though, is this woman that came and repented tonight, is she your daughter? She said, no, she's my neighbor, and I've been witnessing to her for many, many years. And finally, she agreed to come to church tonight. It's never too old, never too old. Can you imagine this woman, probably 85 or 86, being faithful, sharing the good news of the gospel with her neighbor day in and day out, and God would give that fruit. The next day, we visited an army base. This would have been pretty close to, to where they shot down those balloonists there a few weeks ago. Remember that? Two American balloonists were shot down. I was right in that region. But I'd been invited to go on this army base to meet with a, a young major. A young major who had made a commitment to Christ a couple years before. I had heard a story that I, I could scarcely believe, that this young major on a Russian army base was planting a church. And God was giving fruit. And the officers above him were allowing it to happen. And so we met in a school building that he's renting on the base to hold services. And then he took us to a location to show us a piece of land between the commissary. That's where the soldiers buy their food. And right across from that commissary, across the other side of this vacant lot, was the elementary school for the children of the soldiers. And right between those two, 
through the commanding officer of that base, God had granted this lot for this first ever evangelical church to be built on a Russian army base. Now, some of you are too young to understand the significance of that, perhaps. But the Russian army has been first and foremost committed to atheism through and through, and the enemy of the gospel through and through. But the Lord Jesus has already won the war of wars. It's already been decided centuries ago. My missions conference then took me down to Kiev in Ukraine, and we did a number of things there. We had a missions conference with, with 116 national missionaries that are sponsored through the Slavic Gospel Association. And I was meeting with one of those men who is sponsored, by the way, by the volunteers at Grace to You, Dr. MacArthur's radio ministry. The volunteers there, retired people who have very little income, together bring their money together every month and they sponsor this church planter there in Ukraine. And as I met with him, I said, tell me about how your ministry is going. He said, well, there are just three major things I'm doing. And here we're talking cutting-edge ministry. Where do I hear you? Where do you hear what this guy's doing in planting his church? He said, you know, he said, I discovered that in our city, where we have so many preschools for the children because the mothers all have to work, that, that they give nap times to those kids, sometimes 45 minutes to an hour, the children are having a nap. And the teachers don't have anything to do. And he said, so I've arranged now, and God's made it possible. And he said, throughout the week, he said, I have many sessions where I go and spend an hour teaching the Word of God to preschool teachers while the children are sleeping. And many are coming to Christ. And I said, well, that's really exciting. We haven't thought of that in America. I mean, that's really cutting-edge ministry. I said, tell me what else you're doing. He said, well... He said, there's an army base. And I keep coming back to the army because this is new for us to be having an opportunity to evangelize the former Soviet army. He said, well, there's an army base near our town. And he said, I've befriended some of the officers. And he said, a few months ago, they started to let me have two sessions a week with soldiers. He said, I'm teaching the Word of God to 47 soldiers. He said, none of them have come to Christ yet. But they all come to the sessions several times a week. And then I said, well, what else are you doing? Are you doing anything exciting? No. He said, well, he said, you know, we have a lot of trains. Trains go from our city here out to, to the suburbs, and people, commuters, riding those trains all the time. And he said, they're, he said I, I determined they're, they're kind of bored. They have to sit on the train, you know, for a half hour, 45 minutes, and they sit on it in the morning, and sit on it at night. And he said, so I decided that maybe this would be a time God would have me go and preach the gospel to the people on the trains. I said, so how do you do it? He said, well, I get in the train car. He said, I'm pretty good with humor. He said, God's made me so I can, I can say funny things. And so I, he said, I begin with humor. And he said, I, I get the people on the car listening because I can be funny and I can amuse them. He said, and then when I have their attention... He said, then I tell them that I had just been entertaining them for the sole purpose of getting their attention so, they could, so that I could teach them the most important thing they could ever hear, and that is truth from the Word of God. But he said, I, I know that there'll be some that might be offended. And he said, so when I say that, 
So the next thing I do is give opportunity for those. Uh, and so I say, well, but there might be some. There are any of you who would rather I didn't do this? And he said, usually only two or three will raise their hand and say, yeah, I'd rather you didn't do that. And the other people notice those two or three raising their hand and they say, you guys don't want this, you go find another car. That's a pretty good system, isn't it? Maybe you could do that on buses and... Um, I've thought about that in L.A., an L.A. bus ministry program. I used to think about that one. I don't know if you've done that yet. Have you had, have you had L.A. bus ministry? You've done it, haven't you? For a missions conference where you put teams on the buses. They just ride, ride the buses all day and change the buses and preach. And, you know? Have you done that? No? No, oh, no. Okay. All of that to come to a couple reminders. As I was praying about what to say to you folks today, I, um, Lord put on my heart, let's call it sharper focus, okay? Sharper focus. In America, we're pulled in so many directions, and this campus is no exception. I mean, you're just pulled in so many different directions that it's hard to stay focused. And so the Lord really kind of put it on my heart here today to, to review something with you. And I don't know if you've done that this, yet this year or not, but... Uh, at the Board of Trustee, uh, Trustees meeting yesterday, they ask us to, um, as they do every fall, ask us to reaffirm and sign that we're committed, fully committed to the purpose of the Master's College. And uh, I want to I review this purpose statement with you a little bit. The Master's College exists to advance the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping its students for excellence in service to Christ in strategic fields of ministry and vocation. That's why the staff is here. That's why the faculty is here. That's why the buildings are here. That's why people give money to help. The question becomes, why are you here? Why are you here? When I was 18, 19, I was in college only because that was what you're supposed to do in America at that age. And I couldn't figure a way out of it. And so I know there are a lot of you here who maybe are where I was then. Some of you know exactly why you're here and you're focused. But the two questions I, I have for you today are, why are you really here? And where are you really headed? You see, God has a master plan for the world. A master plan for the world. And he's put each one of us on this planet for such a time as this. And if you're here because you want to be equipped and trained to make your life count for eternity in a maximum way, you've come to the right place. But if you're here for any other reason, and you haven't matured to the point yet where you're saying, I really want to make my life count. I really want to make it count. I want to be able to define my own objectives in life, my own goals. I want to stop hitchhiking on somebody else's goals and object objectives. I want to stop riding on peer pressure and, and, and peer values and peer direction. I want to have my own direction. I hope you're at that point today. I want to review with you very briefly in the time that remains. 
Seven aspects of God's master plan. Turn with me first to Isaiah chapter 52. There's no better place in America than to study the word of God than here or at the master's seminary. Where men of God preach and teach the word of God without apology and with fear and trembling because they understand that it truly and clearly is the word of our holy God. In Isaiah 52 and beginning in verse 13, the prophet Isaiah is writing as he often did concerning the Lord Jesus the Messiah, how he would come and what he would do. He begins by saying, Behold, listen up. Don't miss this. My servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. God speaking through the pen of the prophet Isaiah. About that day coming yet when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. And then, verse 14, he starts heading right for the cross, because that's coming first. But before heading right to the cross, he stops in the Babylonian captivity for a moment, just as many were astonished that you, my people, this is still yet to come at that time. But he gives comparison between how they're going to, the people of Judah are going to suffer greatly in the Babylonian captivity. And, there, and he compares that to how Jesus is going to suffer on the cross in your place and mine. And he says, there's no comparison. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man. You can think of the most devastated face, appearance, that you've ever seen in a horror movie. It won't begin to reflect what Jesus allowed them to do to him in your place. And his form, the comparison continues, his form, his body more than the sons of men. Never had been anybody tortured like that, killed like that, never would be in your place and in my place. This is God's master plan for the world. Verse 15, thus... Thus, through that, through that terrible suffering, suffering and through that sacrificial death on Calvary's cross, thus, he, the Lord Jesus, will sprinkle many nations. He will bless many nations. He will be the cleanser of many nations. In fact, all of them, all of them. Even Albania. I remember sitting here in chapel and Russell Moore would tell you about the time that he and I were sitting in chapel. Some of you know who he is. Former vice president of student life. As we sat in chapel and in the mission's moment, up came Albania, the most atheistic country in the history of the world, where we couldn't even go. We Americans couldn't even go to that country. Every church had been destroyed. All Christians had been eliminated from the whole country. I leaned over to Russell and I said, we need to go there. God would help us do it. And God has brought it to pass. I, I mean, I didn't really believe it, as I said it that day, but we saw it happen. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. He's in control of all the kingdoms. And we saw it happen. And then he says, 
what's going to happen? What's going to happen? For what had not been told them, they will see. I believe he's talking about those people that you had opportunity to witness to in your missions conference. How many of them had not been told before and they began to see? That light began to come on in their heart and mind as the Spirit of God would begin to quicken them. And Isaiah writes, and what they had not heard. How many? See, it used to be in America 10, 15, 20 years ago that everybody had heard. But those days are long gone. In many ways, we're loud like the nations of the world that have never been touched. We have communities in America that have never been touched with the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And what they had not heard, they will understand through your ministry, in that missions conference, in those activities, people who had never heard before, who had never been told before, have begun to understand, maybe some of them, even repented of their sin and put their trust in Christ even as you were there. But for the rest, the seeds of the gospel have been planted through your faithfulness and through your service. And you please keep praying that God would quicken those seeds. And where they have been dead in trespasses and sins, there would soon be new creatures in Christ. God's plan for the world right here. And you're a part of it. And you're living it. And it's the purpose of the Master's College to advance the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. That's military, guys. To advance a kingdom requires a conquest, and that requires soldiers. Every one of you is called to be a soldier of the Lord Jesus. This is serious stuff, the most. We're talking about advancing the kingdom of the Lord Jesus by soldiers who have been equipped and trained for excellence in service to Christ right here in this room, throughout this campus, in your churches, and for excellent service to Christ in strategic, strategic fields of ministry and vocation. Why do we put that in the purpose statement? Strategic. Strategic to me means high potential, the highest impact, the greatest potential, seizing the, the best opportunities and having the discernment to know the difference between the good opportunities and the best opportunities is all part of what you're being trained to be able to do. Turn to Matthew 28, please. <coughs> You've all got it memorized, so probably don't need to turn there, but I want to come at it slightly differently. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. This is God's program for the church. First, God's plan for the world. Second, God's program for the church. For the sake of time, I'll just read and comment only on one part. All authority, Jesus said, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. All authority. That's authority over all, over everybody, over all kings, all presidents, all leaders of nations, good or bad, of all time. He has all the authority. It's kind of like, listen up, you know. Listen up. The one who is speaking has the right to say what I'm going to say to everybody on the planet. And he has the right to say it to President Clinton. He has the right to say it to the head of the UN. He has the right to say it to everybody. And then he tells us God's program for the church. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Make disciples of all the nations. There it is again, the nations. Making disciples of all nations. How do you disciple a whole nation? Before we talk about all the nations, what about one nation? How do you disciple a whole nation? You've got to have soldiers that are gifted, trained, and equipped to penetrate every aspect of a society and a culture. That's what's so wonderful about a liberal arts college. And all the majors we're able to have here, I think it's about 50 now. As God puts gifts and abilities into your very being, and then he puts a desire in your heart. And you seek to follow that desire. To serve him with your life, and through all of that, and through counsel of parents and friends who know you best, you select a major. And the purpose of that major isn't just so you as a gifted, unique person become, can become the best doctor or the best lawyer or the best teacher. In a secular school, it stops right there. Here where the business of this institution is to raise up soldiers to advance the kingdom of Christ, the purpose of becoming the best doctor, the best lawyer, the best teacher, and I only pick those quickly, the purpose is to give you a platform for the gospel in that sphere of influence that God has placed you and equipped you uniquely to be in. It's the most exciting thing in the kingdom of God. That God has gone before you. He knows everything about you and me. And he still loves us, first of all. That's the surprise, isn't it? And not only that, but he has a special and wonderful plan. And if, and if you won't allow the devil to gets you off the track of that plan, you're, you're headed for a life that will be one phenomenal fulfillment after another. And I speak from experience. I can't even imagine doing anything but what I do. I can't, and I can't imagine I get to do what I do. And that's because, by God's grace, I'm in the center of his will. I want every one of you to be in the center of his will. And doing everything you can to make your specific, unique life count for Christ. And to enjoy that fulfillment that can only come from that process. God's personnel staffing plan. John 15. Turn over there, okay? He's got this plan for the world. He's got this program to disciple for the church, to disciple all the nations. Turn to John 15 pretty quickly, please. Because I'm out of time. I'm not even third done. But I'm going to quit. I'll figure out a way to quit on time. I'm used to preaching in Russia, you know, where, uh, where the three-hour services. This is kind of cramps me a little bit. This is God's personnel staffing plan. It's real simple. I mean, the most important things are the most obvious in the Scripture. Because God wants you to know beyond the shadow of doubt what his will is for you. What he put you on the planet for. Jesus says in verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you, every one of us in this room. He chose us. In eternity past, he knew all about it. And he still chose us. But he didn't just choose us, he says, and appointed you. Appointed you. That's God's personnel staffing plan. He chose you. You know, like 
like a personnel department, you know, human resources, you know, looks through all the resumes and then picks out one and says, this looks like a good one. No, let's hire that one. That's what Jesus did concerning you. And then, like they do in human resources, then they say, well, this looks like a good one. I, and we got this job. I wonder, I think he could do this job. And they appoint you to that job. Jesus, much more efficient than those guys. He knows everything about you. He knows what you can do well, what you're not going to do so well. He knows if you're going to be faithful or you're not. He knows it all. And knowing all of that, he still chose you. And he knew what to appoint you to do. He has a plan for your life, very specific. And that plan, he summarizes with just two aspects in a job description. His plan for your life is to go, go, every one of us, to go. And what it means? It means motion towards the lost. How? Through the strategic field of endeavor that he's equipped you to do, into that sphere of influence that he has made you unique on all the planet to be able to do. He wants you to go when you finish that training. But not only to go, but then to what? To bear fruit. To bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain. Spiritual fruit. Do you know how much more important that is than making money? Do you know how much more important that is than, than being driven for status? What he's saying is, I, I chose you. I have a job for you. And there are going to be people that don't have to suffer in hell forever be just because of you. There are going to be people in heaven just because of you. You may become a millionaire and get off, you may get off the track, become a millionaire, pile up a hundred million dollars here and have no fruit in heaven. And a hundred million stays right here. Next, God's preparation of staff. I'm going to just ask you to write these down. You can look them up and then I'm done, okay? God's preparation of staff. Your staff. I'm staff. His staff for the master plan. Luke 6.40. Write it down. Luke 6.40. In Luke 6.40, Jesus said that when the pupil is fully trained, he will be like his master. That's what's so wonderful about being here, where God has raised up a faculty who are worthy of being followed. Anybody can dump information in school. You don't even need teachers. You just need television monitors. As in the state universities. Anybody can dump information and tell you if, if, if you don't, if you can't spit this information back on the test, you don't pass. Anybody can do that. How does that change your life? How does that prepare you and equip you? But it's only men and women of God whom God has put in a wonderful place like this to disseminate information that they've spent a lifetime garnering for you. But more than that, more than that, they are living out a faithful walk with the Lord Jesus before you. And the most important thing about being here isn't what you learn, it's who you become. And you've got teachers worthy of being followed. You've got staff leaders worthy of being followed. God's provision for his program, Psalm 67, just write it down, his provision, 67, that's where the money comes from. For all of it. For all of it. Very clear. 
Money for reaching the nations. Money for all of it. Psalm 67. God's priorities for his staff, that's real simple. You look back on these other five items, five aspects, and you're not going to be able to do, fulfill any of it. Unless first, Matthew 22, 36 to 40. Unless first you love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind. If you don't do that, forget it, okay? If you're not doing that, if you're doing less than that, take a hard look in the mirror today because you're wasting your time, you're wasting your folks' money. And love your neighbor as yourself. If you're not doing those two, God's not going to be able to use you. Not going to be able to use you. You're wasting your time here. Finally, God's promise for his staff. Matthew 28, 20. You, his staff, me, soldiers in the kingdom of Christ. He didn't do all this, all this plan, and then say, good luck. Good luck. Send you into battle. He didn't say that. He said, now you're ready. You're going into battle, and I want to be with you. Every day. All day. Every day, I will be with you. When you walk in obedience for a lifetime, he'll never leave you, never forsake you. Always be there. He'll be answering your prayers. He'll be bringing that eternal fruit and making your life count. In 1 John chapter 2, you will find, you will find in 1 John chapter 2, that the devil has a very specific plan to block your service to Christ and the advancement of the kingdom. He does it very subtly, and he's never done it more effectively than he does it in America. And he does it through three temptations that are increasingly difficult for God's people in America to deal with, especially young people. This is how he gets you off the track. This is how he gets you to chase the good and miss the best for a lifetime. The first one is acquisition temptation. Acquisition temptation. Chasing stuff. Chasing stuff. Just like the world does. Second is amusement temptation. Chasing pleasure. Doesn't even have to be immoral. It's just being consumed with the chasing of pleasure. Third, achievement temptation. That's being driven to achieve status as the world is. Let God take care of that. You're faithful to him. He'll give you all the status he has in mind for you and the status that he knows that you can handle. So what's your purpose in being here at the Master's College? Do your reasons for being here match the purpose of the Master's College? Are you here to be trained for excellence in service to Christ in strategic fields of ministry and vocation to advance the kingdom of the Lord Jesus? That's why you're here? Are you here to become equipped for excellence in service to Christ in those strategic fields of ministry and vocation? And I close with an experience last week. Finished this conference outside of Kiev in Ukraine. All the nationals had gone home. They'd all gone home. We were still hanging around in the dining room because we had a plane to catch a little while later. And in came four or five Ukrainian missionaries, bringing with them a guy 65 years old in a sweatsuit. Striking gray hair, looked like he was somebody important. Brought him over, introduced him to me, as a lawyer in the Academy of Science, he said to me, may I speak with you? May I speak with your group? I had five or six Americans. I said, of course. He said this. He said, when I was 20 years old, 
had just been inducted into the Russian army. And I was in basic training. So on the first day, I met two young Christians. They were Baptists. I'd never met a Christian before. And he said, and then I watched as the officers began to harass and persecute them. He said, he said, when the rest of us were free to do our push-ups and our calisthenics and do our workouts, these two Christians had to wear a heavy rifle on their back. They had to wear a heavy rifle on their back 24 hours a day. They had even to sleep with this rifle on their back. And when they went into the mess hall, when they went in to eat, they'd made, they wouldn't let them sit together. They made them sit between two other soldiers who weren't Christians so that the butt of the rifle would keep hitting one soldier on one side and, and the end of the rifle, sharp end, would hit the other one every time they moved so the soldiers would quickly learn to hate them because they wanted every soldier on that base to hate those two Christian young men. And he said he watched that the second day, the third day, and the fourth day. And they said, fourth day. But he said they didn't have to suffer more than four days. He said on the fourth day they shot them both right in front of us. He said, I never forgot it. He said, all the rest of my life I was taught that Christians were evil. And he said, but everyone I met disproved what I'd been taught. He said, finally, I find myself here. And we were at a cardiological sanatorium, and he was there convalescing from an illness. And he said, I find myself here, and there are only a few people here, but then your big group comes in. And he said, I heard you were Christians. And so I, he said, I decided to go out all to all of your meetings. And he said, I just kind of sneaked into the back and I'd find a vacant seat. And he said, for the last three days, I've been listening to everything that's been taught here. And he said, I wanted to speak to you now because he said, I've learned in the process of being here that I'm a sinner. And I need to repent of my sins and put my trust in Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord. He said, may I do that with you now? And he out loud prayed, weeping. We were able to give him like 13 books. Some of Dr. MacArthur's commentaries in Russian sent this lawyer away to begin to read and devour the word of God with good helps and good aids. Are you that kind of soldier? Those two young men, when they were shot at age 20 in that Russian basic training camp, had no idea that someday they were going to be in heaven. They were going to meet a lawyer from the Academy of Science who is there primarily because of their faithfulness as soldiers. They wouldn't compromise. They wouldn't pretend that they weren't Christians. They stood up for Christ and it cost them their lives. That's the kind of soldiers that you and I are called to be for the Lord Jesus. That's the kind of soldier that you're going to have to be in America in the days ahead. People who believe like we do, people who are thoroughly committed to the Word of God are becoming more and more scarce. And it's going to be tougher and tougher. And it's going to be greater and greater. Because the darker it gets, the, the brighter our lights are going to shine. Would you stand with me as we pray? Our God and Father, I thank you for two young Russian soldiers who had the courage to stand for the Lord Jesus to the point of death at age 20, 21. All they had to do was not tell anybody they were Christians and they'd would have escaped those bullets. But they wanted everybody to know that they belong to you. Lord, give us that kind of courage as our world right here in America gets darker. Lord, I pray for everyone here, staff, faculty, students, 
Perhaps some who are here even considering coming here. Lord, we acknowledge that you have a master plan for the world. We acknowledge that you've chose each one of us and appointed us, and you have a plan for us. We acknowledge and thank you that we could be a part of this great institution that you've raised up just to equip us. Lord, help every one of us sharpen our focus. Help every one of us push away the temptations of acquisition, the temptations of amusement, the temptations even of achievement, and help us rest solely in your sovereign arms, being faithful one day at a time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.